Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. Today, we are speaking with Julie Pico. This is her fourth time visiting us, and with a special guest, Aaron Pico, her husband. It's a delight always to have Julie on our show, because a lot like Melissa Kainach, it's our opportunity to see how the journey is changing for the people who are coming behind us. Uh, Her daughter, Elise, is five now and shortly going into the education system. Those IEPs and that conversation is on the boards for the next time. This is just our conversation with a lovely couple about their experience. And one thing that we can always count on from Julie and Aaron is their honesty and vulnerability and openness to share their experience so that way we can learn from each other, help each other, and change the narrative of what it is to have Down syndrome. So please welcome Julie and Aaron Pico. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. We've had a pretty relaxing morning, actually. Are you hiding? Where are your girls? Yeah, they're they're hiding. They're tucked away somewhere. They're in our bedroom watching (laughs) TV. What are they watching? The new Muppet movie just came out? There was a new Muppet movie that came out. No, Incredibles 2. Liam is in our room watching Frozen 2. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Maybe they should have come over and they could have watched it together. This is Aaron's first time on the podcast. Welcome, Aaron. Um, So we were just talking and maybe we should reintroduce this. Is this your third time? Yes. Our third time we've interviewed, but fourth time that you'll have something posted up. Because one was to two. Yeah. Great, right? I feel like the first time was just leaving early intervention, right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. It's great because like for us, I, I it's the purpose really of the podcast is if we knew then. So your journey is going to be so much different than what ours was. Right. Even if it's just that when you go into, you could go into an IEP the week after me and you'd be able to benefit from whatever experience, whether it was good or challenging. And that's that's really, I feel like sharing these stories, it really helps people to see, you know, what to fight for, what the fight looks like. And then also the changes, because I really do feel like I'm seeing parents having different experiences than what we experienced, which really makes me happy. I agree. I, I feel like I listened to, I've listened to all of your guys' podcasts and then accidentally went back and listened to a couple of them. I was like, I thought it sounds familiar. So I learn a lot from them. And so I think it's helpful for me and for me to share too what I've learned from you guys and applied and how that really, I mean, it benefited. And then I feel like even a decade after at least it's going to be very different, hopefully. And plus the things you've learned just from the experience of going through multiple IEPs you know, like separate from anything you've heard from the outside, you know, and, and everyone has the, that experience. And we're just trying, if we can just combine all that experience and try to pass it on, pass it forward. And what's great about having Aaron here, because we've talked about Aaron coming on, is that family dynamic. The more we go through with this, we, we see just the impact on the family dynamic and on couples. I mean, Stephen and I are very fortunate because we're a really good team where our strengths and weaknesses are so different that it's just the stuff that I can handle and the stuff that he can handle really go hand in hand. You know, like I could always write a thousand letters a week and then he would take over and do what, like he would do more of the technical, but it, it just worked out. And I don't know if everybody's, as fortunate. And I think that also it's been a challenge. Like there have been times where we've broken individually. There've been times where it's like, I just need a breath. And I think that's really important to talk about because a lot of times I know my experience and different people that 
different moms that I speak to, we have this kind of, I think every mom works really hard and sometimes has to be super mom. But I feel like on this journey, what I've experienced is that not because I have a long list that I have to be super mom, but there's an added element of not ever wanting to break or show weakness in society to the outside world, because that reflected on what people thought my journey with having a son with a disability was when it really wasn't. It was my response to the societal pressures and challenges. And it's hard sometimes to be human. It's hard sometimes to admit that this can be hard. And the joy and the awesomeness definitely outweighs it. But I think that that perceived need for it not to be a challenge is it just impacts like having to go into a school that maybe isn't completely inclusive and have this fight that I feel like this fight. And, and I want to know if you feel the same way, Julie, I feel like this fight almost is a secret from the rest of the community in the school. Like I know in our old school, everybody thought it was this great and inclusive and wonderful place. And they placated Liam's existence and, you know, the way they saw our son, but nobody would have ever imagined that our son was actually being denied his civil right to an education. And when we would bring it up, sometimes it would be, um, people would get very like offended people, you know, like, but that's not, these are good teachers. And it's just like, well, that's great. But I'm going to tell you the reality. And it's not, it's so well, it, it feels oh, good to talk about your school as all the great things it is. Cause you want to go, Oh, my kid's going to this school. And let me tell you how great it is. Right. So when there's negative, sometimes nobody, people want to shut that down. And do you feel like that? Do you feel like sometimes your challenges and I, maybe you're going to say no, and that would be awesome. But I feel like definitely in our journey that the challenges that we've had that have been very serious, like a school denying your child his right to an education. We felt alone. Yeah. It was very isolating. Yeah. I feel lots of challenges. Um, we were just talking about this the other day, you know, because we too, we feel like we're a really good team, but because we're individuals, we've had different thoughts, different feelings, what our fears were might be different from the other person. And one of my biggest challenges has always been the other people. It's not, it's not my child, right? It's, and a doctor, one of the doctors said that to me um, after Elise was born, he was a specialist. I can't remember the context of the conversation, but he says, Oh, she's not the problem. It's everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I just went, yep, that's that's right. And that's how it's been. Um, I don't feel as alone because of you guys. And I don't feel um as alone because Aaron also has a friend who had, you know, given us some really positive encouragement who has a daughter with Down syndrome. But I would have if we didn't, and, and I mean this in all sincerity, have your guys' podcast to listen to. Um, <clears throat> right. I can't tear up because I oh, miss Gara oh, and it's not waterproof. Yeah. Well, we feel like we've been sent a lot of help, mm-hmm. um, even from the first news mm-hmm. of the diagnosis. Um, you know, there was a period there where felt lost, felt alone. And then information just started coming to us like, like safety nets kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, here's your tools. Here's the information that you need. You know, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it so much. And yeah, and that's kind of just been like, we've been given little things like the podcast, not little Mm -hmm. things, but big things like the podcast and friends, uh, point of views on the subject or, you know, Mm -hmm. other, just like the community. It's a good community here in LA for that. So, yeah, I think being in LA helps a lot too, because I feel like it is on the more progressive side of things typically. But yeah, it, that's been the challenge. You know, the that uh, very first high-risk OBGYN I went to that I told you about and him just spouting out lies. Um, then it was just comments that people would make. Yeah, that they think is correct. Yeah. they've heard it before or right, something. Right, right. But they don't have any firsthand experience on it. Or, yeah, right, yeah. Or it's just a generalized view of things. Yeah, stereotype. And then different uh, systemic issues, like I talked to you about where um, people think they know what's best for your child because they think they know what Down syndrome is and just navigating that. And for me, the harder part is um, 
not not sharing that because I'm 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 pretty open and share that stuff with people. I'm pretty candid, but I don't necessarily want to name people. And like you said, like you guys had your school as an organization and you get worried you don't want to name people because I um don't want to hurt them in in some way and I need to work that out because I'm not trying to hurt them, but I also am trying to stop what they're doing in the future. Stop the pattern. Right. Uh, Because sometimes, you know, the majority of times I would say when I've met people and they say things, they actually are very loving and they want to learn and they want to to be a part of the growth mindset. There's very few people, maybe maybe three, four people who I think really have ill intentions and maybe not necessarily against at least as a person or a person with Down syndrome, but ill intentions in the sense of they don't care if they hurt her as long as it helps the bottom line for their organization. Yeah. And those three or four, man, that can feel like three or 400 when you feel it. It's those negative things can really weigh heavy. Yeah. And like when you said about Los Angeles, it, it is pretty outstanding because we're in such a huge city that when there's a an event, man, you're going to have a lot of people show up. You know, I have to think that you could be in a part of the country that just the population isn't there, you know. And so, okay, here's four people show up for something, you know. It was funny because when you said about when you first got the news and those fears, and I just thought about just today, where we are today. And because I know where your daughter's going to go to school, you will not have the experience that we had. I mean, this we're having an IEP. It's the first time there's no lawyer. Maybe the second time. The first time we didn't show up with a lawyer, they tried to pull Liam off of curriculum <laughs> not, illegally. Not this school, the old the other, school. Yeah. The old school, right? And they try and so we were like, Oh my gosh. And we went into that thinking because of all that they had done the prior year and he was being held back because they were found guilty of discrimination. And so we were like we sh- we share a lawyer. We you know what, Georgiana? We don't we don't we're good right now. We're we're just gonna yeah. And they just like you know pounced on us, and so lesson learned. But this is, I think, the first time we're going in to where it's just, it's magical. It's absolutely magical, and it's magical when you find a place like especially whether you've had the fight or not. When you find a place, if that's like just your natural road to is an inclusive one. It shouldn't feel like magic. It should feel like normal, but it's it's really magical. It's just such a, um, it's the opposite of what you feel when you encounter people who, you know, say things with malice or say hurtful things. It's like, like inclusion for anyone who does is not included. Um, I think it gives me empathy for anyone who ever feels on the outside because the first time that you feel that absence of that absence of being pushed to the outside, it's just life changing. And it's life changing for the parents. But also we know for Liam's journey, when you were saying about the fears that you both had different fears when you got the diagnosis. I remember that. And I just right when you said it, I just remembered that moment. And then I just thought of like today and, mm-hmm. and how today is just Joyful. Mm -hmm. And that is what I wish anybody who's receiving a diagnosis now is experiencing and knows that that is the reality. The rest of the stuff, I mean, yes, there are things that we can use our awareness to, you know, understand different medical conditions that are on the radar. And that is actually a gift, but it never felt like one. But if, if it got to that point, like we can use those tools and then the rest of it is just being a family. Yeah, <clears throat> those are presented too much like they're threats rather than a gift of knowing this is something to look at. It, and, and I've heard you guys say this before. It's really something that should happen for all newborns as they should go all through all those screenings and catch things ahead of time. Um, but the way that it's presented is like, well, this this is all on your list of what's coming with your birth. And if they had done that, with me, with Jasmine, who, you know, it's considered typical. If they'd given me a list, even if everything said 1%, you're pregnant, you're going to worry. And the worst thing you can do to a pregnant woman is give her stress. Uh, so it would have been better to say, we're going to just, you know, this is part of it. So we're going to be doing screening just like we do for every other kid. And if it comes up, we're going to help you through it. What do you think, Aaron? What has it been like for you? Well, I'll say this. Um, as far as dealing with IEPs and therapists and lawyers and stuff, that's been like pretty much all her. 
just because you know i i'm in the film industry and so i'm gone many hours of the day and usually during the times that this kind of stuff has to get taken care of so we talk about it all and stuff but she's the one who's actually like boots on the ground so what i can talk about is just my own experience with you know getting a diagnosis and you know raising a daughter with down syndrome and and just personally what i'm what, you know my my experience and and uh what i've seen with my eyes um so i don't know how specific <laughs> you want me no to be. that's what i'm that's what i'm asking because i know that like and and honestly i feel like in some parts that's how our dynamic has has really functioned but i think it's important as a unit i want to know what your experience has been just to you know be an observer of you know what julie is doing and and your experience with having a daughter with down syndrome like you had fears when you were given the diagnosis or you know um did you yeah, know when anything? you mentioned that about how that hits you at the diagnosis man i went right just like Lori said i went right there and, and in my mind i said i know exactly how you felt now i don't know that i don't know but i i'm pretty sure we felt pretty much the same thing and it felt great to like go oh Here's someone I'm actually talking to that felt that. Now, we come to today, and you realize that was that, so unnecessary. That initial, totally unnecessary, <laughs> so and unnecessary. that initial feeling still has burned into my brain and my actions. Things I'm still trying to get rid of. I, I just had time with Liam yesterday at a sporting event, and I had to catch myself two or three times. Um, we're outside at a stadium. Everyone's yelling and screaming, offense, defense, whatever uh, you do at a sporting event, cheering. And uh, Liam cheered a few times that, to, in my judgment, reflected that he wasn't in control. He wasn't doing it the way other people were. He wasn't controlling himself the way people would to be all the same. That's how I grew up as, mm -hmm. uh, as a young boy. We'll do it this way because that's how everyone else is doing it. So there is part of that. But deep down in my mind, Liam was doing things that would reflect a stereotype of Down syndrome, to be completely honest. Yeah. And I had to catch myself literally three times and say, why did I just correct him? We're outside screaming he can scream yeah he doesn't have to scream like what i think every 13 year old should scream like and you don't even know what 13 year olds I don't. scream like i've completely because it, no because we had it where he did we do that sometimes and he had liam had his first birthday party and he had friends there and they're in menchies <laughs> uh, uh, oh, wait, his first birthday party but not for, not one year old birthday no, no like uh, the 13 year old yeah that's a sorry whole, sorry yeah 13 <clears throat> yeah i forget that not everybody knows what i'm talking about no yeah. because of everything, it was the first like real with friends birthday party that he wanted, that he had friends to go to. And we were there and all of a sudden it's like six 13-year-old boys and they all act the same. There's like, oh, yeah. there's variations, but it's like ev they're all the same. It was wild. It was, and I, I, I was like, poor why Liam's am I... being corrected. Oh, at so home, I'm correcting much. him, going, "Why are you doing this and doing that? And where are you learning this?" He's learning from, just because from all the kids. Because it's what that's all, just what kids do. That's, that's what boys what do. do, or whatever. Yeah. And here's the thing: I think I've done that to Sophia uh, to a certain extent. You know, this is how you act in public. This is how you, you know, I get that. But this went beyond that, and I'm just being totally honest. And I think it still burns from my past thoughts of what Down syndrome was, and fears and i i would be interested to to hear how you feel about that and and if you feel like that first initial experience of a diagnosis bled into that you know oh yeah i can relate to that for sure yeah the um well i think any way you look at it whether whether or not you know my initial reaction of um you know it's kind of going through a grief process for a while you know i was in when i when we got the diagnosis i was in denial for the first whatever i was like what's the percent it's not true four ah, see they don't know what do they know they don't know anything and so i'm like going yeah it's it's probably fine it's just i don't know whatever and you know it just kind of slowly crept in that that wasn't the case and um you know got angry and i got confused i got scared and um yeah i went through that whole rough period and then i would say right after maybe like four or five days after I kind of didn't know what to do. I mean, I had 
called family and giving them news and uh, my friends and giving them the news. But it wasn't until I got a phone call from a friend of mine who has a daughter with Down syndrome. And well, I actually called him and I left a message and I was just like, hey, I want to talk to you about some things. And and I told him and and he called me back and he's like, all right. And he for like an hour, he just talked to me on the phone while he was driving home from work, I think. And that was a really important phone call for me because it just it's like the dark cloud that was over me just like went away. And the sun came in. It was just like, oh, okay, great. So yeah, somebody with that, you know, he has had his own experience. So it's a shared experience. And so, you know, and at the time, I think his daughter was seven or eight already. Mm -hmm. So he had already kind of, you know, she was an older child. And so, yeah, it was great to hear from him and um, just kind of let me, you know, he's like, I know what you're going through. And I, and he was like, list off a few things. And I'd say, Oh yeah, right. Right. And I, I recognize that. And he'll say, you know, you're going to see that like the compassion and empathy levels of, of your family and everybody around you are going to raise. And everybody's like, he's like, this actually, you're going to, it's going to be cool to watch your family all like improve and grow and all your friends like learn and grow and improve. And he's like, so he's like, everybody's going to start coming up. And I was like, whoa, that's an interesting effect, which I have seen for sure. Mm -hmm. So the difference between what I, how I thought my life was going to be and how my life is completely night and day, right? I I was scared. I didn't know what to think. You know, I was thinking the worst uh, at first. What was your biggest fear? Um, That she would not live longer than a couple of years, you know, that I was just going to have to say goodbye to a child at a very young age. Um, I didn't know anything about like medical advancements. I didn't know that, you know, that's not really the case uh, of high of a percent or whatever, as I thought it might've be, might been. So I was, I was just undereducated and misinformed about. So it's like when you're undereducated and misinformed and someone gives you like something that you perceive as bad news, you don't know what to do with it. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't have any tools. I didn't have any experience. So I was kind of like, oh, thanks. I'm out in the dark. <laughs> I'm all alone. Not all alone, but you know how it feels. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't feel that way now at all. But What advice did he give you that was the most, um, like most affected you besides watching your family come up? Mm, let's see. The first thing you said to me, which affected me very deeply because I didn't hear mm rest of that conversation was that, and you, you can correct the verbiage, but you know, it's something about, I don't mean to be. Um, oh yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. He said, uh, he goes, it's like, it'll sound weird or I don't mean it to sound um, negative or something, but he would, he would say when, when a friend of mine calls and says they're going to have a, a child with down syndrome, he's like, I actually get pretty excited. I actually get kind of happy about it because I'm like happy for what, that means for your life coming up like you're gonna have this awesome kid you don't even understand how awesome and you know what it's gonna do to you and your and your family and stuff is he's like I'm excited for you although you don't want you don't really it doesn't feel right me to say that now <laughs> he's like to you it doesn't feel right but he's like in time you're gonna understand and so that was kind of uh I didn't expect to hear that yeah it's not what you expect no isn't that funny? Because I know that we feel the same way. And I think because we're so, um, you know, from diagnosis, from societal, obviously it's changing. And I really have, I really have faith in that evolution of humanity and this journey and it's changing slowly, but because it has so much weight and we're so weighted down that people who know the truth, you're afraid to sound callous or maybe even cruel to say that to someone, but it is the absolute truth. Even now, like now Liam's 13 and we'll go some places and you can usually tell the group of people who still are uneducated or still go, you know, and they'll say stuff and they'll talk to Liam and Liam will like work them because they'll be like, Hey, and he's like, Oh, Hey buddy. Hey buddy. And he's like, Hey, give me your watch. (laughs) (laughs) And now I just hang like now I can just hang with Liam and I don't have to care what other people are saying it's not my job to correct their misperceptions of my son. I just have this really cool kid that is 
so dynamic. And you're right, just the way he elevates you as a human. I am such a better human. I am such a more um, compassionate, empathetic. I'm a better listener. I care so much more. I mean, I'll say it. I've said it before. I always thought I cared about people, but I really do. And it's not from anything else, but just it's something that's been granted to me. It's this pace. It's not because, oh, my son has Down syndrome. So this is what I'm going to do for the rest of the world. It's because all of a sudden I'm present in the moment. All of a sudden I get what it feels like to watch somebody have to fight a against misperceptions or just being denied his his right to an education to have being marginalized. To being marginalized like I in any in any way that it's just made us and Sophia Sophia actually did this really cool thing with her school and it was first of all LUSD did it and I was like LUSD has no business being there because they were part of this arts for other kids uh, but it was I didn't like the time it was the special arts program and I was just like we have to take back that word and change it because I was, I didn't like the title, but she went and she was surprised to find out how much her brother had affected her. Like in a way that she was like, mom, I was just around all these people and I was watching other people. And she was like, and I just sat, I got to sign with someone. I got to just sit and like, just have conversations with these super cool people who were just like me. And but that's because that's all she knows. She just knows inclusion. She just knows that everybody's equal. She just knows everybody's able. Like she doesn't look at someone and say they're not able for any reason whatsoever. And that's one of the first things people try to say about someone with Down syndrome, how they're going to have this negative impact on our family. And our 15-year-old daughter in high school came home and she was like, I want to come on your podcast again because I really think I want to talk about how he's changed my life and well she doesn't dismiss people she doesn't just dis, like discard them remember there was a homeless veteran at, at on there's a homeless campus. veteran on her campus because uh, she's at she's, a college campus as well they're they're close yeah and he just was kind of walking around and i and somehow she figured out that he that he was deaf it was and he couldn't yeah. he wasn't speaking yeah and people would just walk by him and and maybe he'd even Make try to sign or, to them and and she knows a little bit of sign language. And so she was like, I'll take a moment to, you know, completely feeling completely safe. I mean, because you are, you're on a college campus, there's security around and you evaluate anybody that you approach and or approaches you. And she felt comfortable. And so she had a little conversation and what a loving moment. But it was like, it was in, yeah, in, sign, language. in sign language. She was able to communicate with him and ask his name and, you yeah, know, and find out day. some sorry, and say hello. You know, sorry, I don't have anything for you. Uh, have a good day, you know, type of thing. And I, I, I most definitely didn't grow up with that kind of re- regard for people. Well, she definitely did have something for her. She did. And that's what I, I told, because when he, when he left, he was like, I love you. Like he signed, I love you. And she was like, I love you too. And then afterwards she was like, mom, because then, you know, it's like my cautious daughter. She's like, do you think that's okay? And I was like, you know, we love everyone, Sophia. And I think you may, I don't know when the last time he probably was able to have a conversation with someone. And I believe that there was a real love for the fact that there was another human who he could connect with that day. Human connection is like more valuable than gold. Yeah, it takes very little effort just to smile at someone and say hi and acknowledge them. And not only does it fill their bucket, it fills yours too. And Yeah, so, yeah they both valued that. Mm-hmm. So I think that when your friend said that, I, I totally understand. And if anybody is, and that's what we want to say too, like when we find out someone, and it's really hard. I don't know if you ever go on the message boards, but sometimes it can be very hard to see that, you know, people at the beginning of this journey still are experiencing the same misinformation they're still oh, experiencing they reach out for things what they get yeah, yeah and you know they have their families that oftentimes don't accept the news very well or you know have archaic beliefs or whatnot and it's hard for me to see that people are you know still experiencing what we experienced and you do want to say the challenges are going to be there like they are with every child it's part of being a parent but what a gift you know, what a, what a gift the actual journey is with my son, like what a gift to our family. This, I would say the same could be said about Jasmine as well, is what she's done for our family and what she's done for me too, and how much of a unique person she is and, and her gifts that she has. 
Totally, and that that's kind of why it needs to be said, because that's not the go-to for thoughts of Down syndrome, because that's not the history. But I think there's like, I think there's a bit of like inclusion in that statement is because, well, this is a, this is a podcast about, you know, inclusion and the Down syndrome community. And we do have that conversation. I think it's, but it's different weighted and it shouldn't be right. That's what we're telling, talking to Melissa Kainach about is that when we say it about our children with Down syndrome, it feels different. It feels more like, um, almost like we're convincing others right? Like it's what we have to, what we have to say and, um, what we want people to know. I, I, I've, I've stepped away from trying, from having to show people, like, you know, like prove my son, but it's really what we want people to know so, so much that they don't know. And I think like, I do the same thing. I do the same thing with Sophia because I feel like one it normalizes it yeah. because there isn't much of a difference. I worry so much about the both of them. I actually use Sophia's journey and Liam being the younger child, usually they get away with more. He gets away with less because I'm like, ah, your sister tried that and this is what we're doing. Do you know what I mean? So I so I completely understand that want to say, yeah, but it's the same way I feel because you want to be fair, right? You want to be fair to both of your kids. You want, um, I think there's a, a bit of knowing that it is abso- absolutely equal. Yeah, Do you and know? it does push and show that both lives and both relationships of our children to yeah. us is equal. I feel like it's it's different because it needs to be said. Yeah. I was watching a documentary not that long ago, I don't know if I spoke with you about this before, but I feel like it was several months ago, somehow I came upon it and it was a, a journalistic show. I, I want a nightline or something like that, where they had gone over to Iceland and were doing a report on the 100% uh, termination of any baby that has Down syndrome. And they were interviewing uh, a woman who was part of the government that would um, pursue that with families. And in the end, they asked her why she did that. And there were two things that she said that really bothered me. But the one in particular was, well, we're ending suffering. And I was so angry. (laughs) I was so mad because that's such a blatant lie. And I feel like there's a lot of evil in that statement. And, and it just made, it was, the opposite. Yeah. It's the opposite. I don't, I, and I kind of, my, my first thought was, I'm sure there were times and places where people felt really sad to find out they were pregnant with a girl versus a boy and to say, well, you could, you know, you know, it's going to cause suffering. Why don't you end that life? And then you can have a boy. I mean, I just feel like that's such a, a, yeah. a line of but that's not mad because Iceland's so great about so many other things like, you know, pollution and yeah. uh, so many other aspects. It just makes me so, so angry. I feel like when people talk about the suffering, you know, someone says something and they plant the seed and then long after they're gone, their, their seeds have like sprouted these branches and we're pulling like leaves off those branches and we don't know even where they came from. So people who say something like it's ending the suffering, they forget that we created the suffering that long before the industrial revolution, before that, everybody was accepted for what they could do for who they were. That's just that's their that's what they do. And they got a job based upon what their ability was. And they were all a part of the community. And then we had this industrial revolution. And they were like, "Mm, they don't move as fast as we do. Let's make propaganda. Let's put certain labels on them. Tell people misinformation about what it means to be them. And then offer the solution of extermination or institution. So then that, that is the suffering that is the suffering that was caused by an agenda to eliminate. So it's not that the human is suffering. The human is a beautiful individual, right? Like everybody has the potential to be a beautiful individual. And because there's that, I always say this, that there's that stereotype for Down syndrome that I fought it. I fought it for so long because people would always come up to me and that would be the one thing that they would, oh, he's so happy. And so I would just be like, "Mm, no, no. Don't give him a nap. See how that works out for you. <laughs> Forget to buy his snack at the store. See how well that goes over. And so I th- that's why I fought it. But historically, 
society created the suffering that is now attached to the chromosome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get so frustrated because we were watching another thing and it was on genetics and it was the same thing. It was a, a scientist, I think. And we love science. I didn't love this scientist because he was talking about the same thing about, he was saying all this, mis- this was a very intelligent man. And he was saying all this misinformation about what it meant to have Down syndrome. And I was like, you Well, where just- did he learn things? Yeah. Where did he learn things about Down syndrome? He obviously doesn't have anybody in his life with Down None. syndrome. None. So this is a, a rhetoric that has just passed down. And and one thing about Iceland is, and I checked this, and I need to check it again because it's been over a month since I've checked it. But the last time I checked, that month, we had 24 listens from Iceland. I think because of having guests from the UK, it, that's our second or, or sometimes third biggest after Canada and the US, you know, listening country. But there's many countries involved because I, there's English speakers all over the world and and our community all over the world. And I've been curious and, and looked at those stats, um, which is always kind of fun to look at and just go, hey, there's people getting a message there. And uh, because it's a propaganda that everybody's eaten up and that just becomes what you say. Yeah. It just becomes, oh, that's what I do. I get this, I do that. Yeah. There's people in the country that may not even think about it. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's what you do. And so, you know, another perspective would be nice. I think that's great news. <laughs> I know it's kind of fun. <laughs> I hope they all make their family and friends listen too. <laughs> <laughs> I was just hoping it wasn't just one person listening and go, oh, why do I have this podcast on? Um, I was going to say that Elise should be the uh, poster child for what happens when you receive appropriate speech services. Yeah. How old is she? She is five. She just turned five. Five. She is proof Uh, What happens with speech and the denial of speech is that the expressive language, it gets diminished. And so then people think that um, our, like Liam's ability matches his expressive language, which is not 100% true because he was denied speech for so long. What we're told is that that's just how they talk. Um, the, it's a cognitive delay uh, right now. This is all the speech they need all the, and it's not going to make a difference. And your daughter is five years old and she, I mean, her expressive language is on point. It, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. I would take her speaking into an IEP. I mean, that is something that parents should understand that it's just all that is, is there are certain things that speech therapy address to, is this her? Can you come here and say hi, please? What is that? That's beautiful. Like a hospital and afterwards of whipping and maybe a whipping you have baskets. So Raven Queen is a character from Ever After High. So she was saying Raven Queen from Ever After High, that's like her hair piece. Ah. And Apple White is her friend. And um, Maddie is another character in the show. It and it was basket? something about something in the basket, which I think is Apple White Eat the Apple out of a, a basket Wait. but this is what i'm talking about her her cognitive goes faster than she can actually communicate and because and she's got so she's got to get those the words down and memorization the low tone really affects the tickle keeping up but the feather tickle my face does it tickle llama's face nope. let's see mm. Mm, does it feel soft can, can i try and see no, 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 no. Okay. Are you going to give it to Lori to put on? Here. Sure. Here, I'll put it on her head. There, it's on you, Lori. No, what's there? Oh, you want, it? you want it? You want it, Steven? No. No, where do you want it? Mama. Oh, okay. Now it's on my head. Do you want to say goodbye to Lori and Steven? Bye-bye. Delicious. Delicious. <laughs> Go show Jazzy. Go show Jazzy that. As a second child, she's really good at independent play. Because I don't feel guilty like I need to play with her all the time. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's been a, a lot of things that have come our way for her, her speech. And unfortunately, a lot of them are not going to be accessible to most people because of financial disparity. 
you know, so we started right away with a program called Gemini, which we think is really great. It's okay. an app um, and you have to pay for it. And we'll just let her watch that when she's eating her snacks and she'll repeat what they're saying. And they do a really good job with those videos. And um, we were able to get speech therapy early, very early. You know, we had to push for it really hard, um, but thankfully we did. And even Caroline, our um, child development specialist, was shocked they actually approved it um, when they did. Then we've had a number of different speech therapists, but I, I really have to rave about Marion Levine, who we got Marion at the beginning of the fall of 2022. And she was our assigned LAUSD speech therapist. And, um, you know, we've gone through lots of different ones. And we we always had a private speech therapist on the side, too, because there are lots of times where we did not get our speech therapy we were supposed to be getting from LAUSD. So she's incredible. She uses all the senses for every single time she works with her. She's always going to different conferences and studying up. She has a sister who has Down syndrome. And she was going to retire at the end of the school year. It did retire at the end of the school year. And I asked her as she was coming toward retirement, would you become Elisa's private speech therapist? And she said, yes. And so we've been having speech with her since then, still uh, privately. And she brings Jackie, her sister with Down syndrome, who's like 60. Jackie is so nice and she's feeling more and more comfortable with us and opening up. And so a lot of times while Marion is um, working with Elise, Jackie will, you know, encourage Elise or she'll be like, oh, she's so cute, (laughs) you know, and and she um, opens up to me um, last time a little bit more, like she like telling me what she likes. Um, She likes the TV show MASH and she likes doing puzzles. And that's such a benefit to me too, because again, I don't, I didn't have any experience with the community of people who had Down syndrome. So to meet somebody in her sixties, who's you know, there's so many misperceptions about people with Down syndrome, including like how long of a life they can live. And I'll give you an example of something Marian did um, in our very last uh, speech therapy session. She was working on B's and P's. And you guys have probably heard some of this, but she'll call the B the big brother and the P the little brother. And so she did all these things. She had a pump that pumped up water balloons and Play-Doh. And so she would say, you know, like pull up, push down and say bigger. And she's making the balloon bigger. And then she would have her make a big ball out of the Play-Doh and then throw it at the water balloon and smash open the water balloon. She also then had a feather and she would say, and this is all in one session. And she'd say, okay, I want you to put the feather in front of your mouth and feel your neck. And the big brother vibrates, but go buh, buh, buh. He vibrates, but he doesn't move the feather. Little brother feel your throat. You can't feel anything, but look how powerful he is. He blows the feather. So she's using visuals. She's, you know, vision, sense, sound, all this. And she goes, I want her to understand that when she's popping these balloons with the ball, that her words have power. And then she sends me home with pictures of different mouths doing different things and that I can show to Elise and a little form on phonics because we're talking about reading now and I'm trying to navigate through the misinformation of how to best teach a child with Down syndrome how to read and look at just what's the best way to teach a child to read. If you guys haven't heard about this data behind it, there's a podcast called Sold a Story, which is looking at the reading in the United States and how the majority of school systems are still teaching reading toward a program that back in the 80s was debunked and is actually doing more harm than good, Uh, that you shouldn't be teaching children to memorize and you should be teaching phonics and decoding because what you're doing is you're teaching the child's brain to look at it as a puzzle that they can solve no matter how far along they come in the reading when you're doing phonics or decoding where if you're teaching them to memorize, you're teaching their brain that words are pictures. And that even though younger children will advance quicker when you teach them memorization, as time goes on, they fall far behind because then they have a much more difficult time, especially with a language like English, which doesn't really always follow the rules, um, gets bigger and more advanced. So I've been talking with her about that. And her other sister, who is in Canada, is a special education director of like a a region of Canada. 
And so she went back and she did research and they came back and they said, yep, and we're going to help you with this. And we're going to go through the, the phonetical order with you, even though she's like, that's not typically speech. It is all connected. So she's amazing. Hmm. And if you get someone like that, your kid's really learning. They're not just talking because a lot of times that's what speech is, is just talking. But she's looking at it from a science and, and accurate science looking at what the data and the research is and looking at the research and looking at the controls and where there's lack of controls or where there's duplicate re research. So she does a really good job with that. And I, I'm happy to introduce you to you guys. And if you ever want to, she's really amazing. We'd love to have her on. I'd love to have her sister on. Do you, how does you feel when you meet her sister? Can you, um, did her sister go to school? Did she receive an education? What was her journey? And how does that affect you? Very sure a little bit about that with me. Um, she, you know, she's expressed that she was, you know, born during a very, a different time. And uh, from what I know, what Marion's told me, her mother was very much an advocate for Jackie, um, but there were a lot more limitations. She's, she can't read fluently, but she can read well enough to read some articles. And Marion and her other star working with Jackie to teach her how to read more now. She's in her 60s, but they see her, they know her, they understand she's an individual who's very capable and she likes looking at the newspapers and reading them and she wants to do crossword puzzles. So they're going to, they're going to help her. It was really cool for me to meet her because yeah. that's something I think about a lot when Elise is older is how far will they have um, advanced in dementia in general for all of us, but also um, how much of that is actually true when it comes to the chromosomal difference and how much of that is just from years of institutionalization. Mm -hmm. And so it's been nice. Well, you talk about the fact that, Erin, one of your fears was, you know, that your child would die young. The one, when they give us that statistic, they forget to tell us that the reason that statistic exists is because they didn't feel that children with heart defects that were born with Down syndrome, that it was life worth saving. So they denied those heart surgeries. So then the mortality rate skyrocketed and but they didn't tell you it was because we didn't give them the surgery and that's why that's that's why um i don't know if you heard our episode with john's crazy socks the gentleman and his father who created john's crazy socks he had a heart condition and the doctor actually said to his father you're lucky that we now give those surgeries to individuals with down syndrome because they didn't used to so again, that's when you look back at where the information and where the statistics come from, it's not really based in something that is part of our actual journey because of medical advancements, because of science and technology. This is something that when this problem occurs that we can fix, um, but it's another thing. I was just curious how, you know, your interaction was, and I love that you said about reading, you're going to teach Elise how to read. You're just going to teach Elise how to read, right? Because honestly, whether there's an extra chromosome or not, every, everybody really learns differently. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't hold whole stories. I have to like read a paragraph a couple times. That's me, you know? And I think about that. And I'll, I usually go like into IEPs with my own, like when they would try to say, well, this and this and this about Liam, I'd be like, well, these are the supports that I need <laughs> to read a book. This is what I need. I need a piece of paper. If you're going to ask me about something, I need to be able to write it down so that I can reference it. Because when I'm in the story, I'm just reading the story. I'm not reading the story to tell you about the story. I'm reading the story to experience the story. Because I think that's what we did. We got those. We didn't know anything else. And we just took like Sophia's books. And that's what we used. There's like, a, it's called the Jack or the Bob or something like that books. And it's just like simple sentences that grow. What you guys said about speech too, um, you mentioned something about there being a, a common theme, which I've read too, that their, their speech is, could be just delayed because of uh, cognitive delay. In my experience with Elise as an individual, and I know this is different for every single person, her issues with speech are low tone. When Liam was in early intervention, we had one good speech therapist that explained to us that speech isn't just speech. There's three different pathways. There's the receptive, there's the expressive, 
And yeah, I think the third one's the cognitive. And there are three pathways and they develop and you just have to keep working until, until you get that pathway. And the, receptive, and the receptive can be there, but the expressive might not be there. And I think, yeah, because sometimes low tone, you know, and the strength, there's so many different like muscles and to, to make sounds and everything. And I just remember having that bit of information. So speech isn't just like speech. There's like so many different parts of it. And that's something that I took into my IEP because when they were t- discussing about not giving Liam speech because he couldn't talk or that his expressive language was a reflection of his cognitive ability. And most of the time what was disheartening is they were either surprised that I knew or they didn't know. And I would just break down that there's three different pathways and he has this and he has this, but this is still emerging. And this is why we need the support in speech. And also that speech is actually part of idea. Speech is something that is a support that is needed to access the curriculum because unless Liam can read that book out loud to you, then he's not accessing his curriculum. Unless he can communicate with his peers and with his teacher, he's not accessing his curriculum. And that's something that I hope people know to take into their IEPs as there's these little bits that we can share with each other that it's there. There are these little keys because the law, at least in this country, is that your child has the civil right to an education, an equal education, and the supports to access that education. That is part of their rights. And so when you go in and ask for speech and they try to deny you, that is the way that your child accesses his education. If, you know, it could be a pencil, it could be something on his seat, it could be the one-on-one aid, it could be so many different things. And I think that that's something that's really important because even when you're talking about right now, about all these different ways to practice speech as a totality and not just the memorization of a word. It's like building those muscles and creating that relationship, that relationship in your mind. I mean, I will definitely apply that to Liam. And the fact that your speech therapist teaching her 60-year-old sister to read or read better. I think that's one thing, like we are always learning and growing and we can make up for the errors of the past. We were talking with Chris Nickich. The first interview we had was before he ran the Ironman. And what I love about that conversation, first, I really enjoy meeting everyone on their journey. And, you know, we all learn from each other. And the one thing that was different about his journey. You know, his wife did most of the supporting at home, but Chris's father and how, what his father's relationship was with Chris's Down syndrome and that what he learned when he started to really apply supporting Chris and getting him to grow. And that's where he came up with this concept of just 1% more every day. It's really interesting because Part of it made me a little sad, the conversation, knowing the challenges, um, you know, the history and the misperceptions. But then what's so beautiful is that when his father got past all of those things and started to support his son, it was like, I mean, he's the first first person with Down syndrome to participate and complete an Ironman. I mean, that's what happens. Well, his father was very humble about how he would teach Chris things, but would end it before much progress was made. And it's because he didn't wait for that progress. He didn't, he didn't realize that, oh, well, I taught my daughter this and she got it in like 15 tries. And maybe Chris, it takes 115, but he wasn't going to that 115. He was going, well, now we're at 30. Now we're at 45. Uh, and he would go, well, okay, to, to the next thing. And he realized he was just going halfway. And when he started applying, no, we're just going to do it. And just get better, 1% better each day until it's accomplished. I mean, the difference was life-changing. Yeah, I mean, not only did he run multiple Ironmans and marathons, but cognitively, he, he saw changed. the relation. But he saw the relationship between physical and cognitive. And a lot of times our kids are left out of the physical part, right? That's You really have to push for PE. You really have to push that your child is included in physical education. I'm going to say again that 
because we, we've had citizens of the world on and since you were the one who introduced us to it and I know I'm I can't tell you how excited I am that Elise is going there so you're not going to have to like make that fight for inclusion but it's a really beautiful conversation and I think it's something that I'm reminded because this journey can be really unfair and life can be really unfair and some of the challenges that are put upon us but it reminds me that we do have that ability to at any time change, even if it's just our own shortcomings that we didn't think that that was a possibility, that we can make the decision to just reinvest, to revisit it. You know, maybe they needed a break as well. And it's just a journey. There's not like this end game. There's not like this thing that we have to finish in this certain amount of time because that's just not how life works. And I think as an adult, we can look back on our lives as adults and say, yeah, no, even if that was the course that we started out on our own individual path, once we got to a place, you know, you see that it's like, oh, there's moments, there's details, there's little ways that we can get better. And that's something that I've learned that I can... I can do with Liam. Like Liam has been in an inclusive class for one year and he's learned science. He writes papers. He does all of these like amazing things that no one deigned to even try to teach him at school. You know, they're going back. Deigned? Yeah. Very nice. Gosh. Don't edit that one out. That's a good word. English Mm -hmm. lit major here. Go from whence you came. Um, You know, he's learning these things that like even the fundamentals, which, uh, you know, like the counting to 100 and all of these math and subtraction and everything that, you know, you can get the accommodation of a uh, calculator. And that's a really great accommodation to ask for, especially when they're trying to tell you that your child can't do math because we all have calculators on our phone, but that's something that you can ask for. This school is actually now going and teaching him math. I feel like there's a little person there that said it's been over an hour. I get you, Elise. You hungry? Yeah. Yeah. What do you want? Pretzels. Pretzels? Pretzels and banana? Yeah. All right. We'll have that soon. Oh my gosh, that sounds delicious. We're going to have to have another conversation because I do want to talk about your IEP and the fears and then the turnout and everything. Sure, yeah. Because it's also very important since you're transitioning out of early education into the education system. I want to really, um, I think there's a lot of stuff that people want to hear. So we'll just do another on just that. It was just too much fun having, I think it's so important, Aaron. I'm so happy that Aaron that you joined us because we've seen like sneaks of your face here and there. And in the last year or so, I've been able to get to know you um, a little bit. And it's just nice to, to just talk to the team, team, team Elise. Yeah. I mean, one thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned was like, when you look back on the experience of like getting the news, getting the diagnosis, you know, the way I handled it and stuff like that, it's really just a reminder, like, life's going to present challenges to you that you didn't think were going to happen. You know what I mean? And it's going to happen all throughout life. And it's just like, you have tools, you have ways of handling and dealing with some, there's a problem, you problem solve. It's going to be okay. Like this is not something you can't handle that kind of like in the same phone conversation would have been nice. Right. Hey, that's positive for down syndrome. But hey, by the way, like a little, like a small amount of like. You mean from the doctor. Sure. Right. Like, guys, don't worry. It's not like, don't worry so much. You know, you got this. It's okay. We've got your back. Yeah. It's not their job to do it, but it's like, anytime you give someone bad news, it's also hearing like, I'm here for you or you got this is. Well, it's not their (laughs) job to give it as bad news either. Yeah. I think that's a conversation that we've had with a lot of doctors and researchers is that the, it just needs to just be a conversation of we've found that your child has an extra chromosome and here's here will be some of the challenges that we know of can occur and this, these are the supports and you I think you're right Julie it's just not to be it's not bad news it's just news and to get rid of whatever it is that you're holding on to as a doctor that is guiding you to present that to a parent or a mother who's still expecting in that manner, that's going to have no good outcome. That's, it's not going to help one bit to deliver. Because I even know that even like real challenges, man, they deliver those like the real ones when they deliver them to you. 
It's with kit gloves on a silver platter. They're, when they're actually giving you something that is actually super heavy, that journey that we know is going to be hard. It's like this, the first thing out of their mouth following whatever it is, is, and this is what we're going to do. And this is the path we're going to take. And this is how, and you're going to be good. They always do that, right? You know, I, I, I'm so happy for your journey and the supports that you found because you are proof. You're just such proof that with the right information, it's life-changing. When Elise is 60, she's, she's going to have a completely different life than uh, her speech therapist sister. And she'll be teaching people. She'll be maybe teaching her own children to read. Right. And nothing having to do with either of their skill sets as much as it had to do with the community. Because, you know, she had a family that was supportive and loved her too, but the society just wasn't there for them. And yeah, you're right. A lot of stuff in life isn't fair, but it should be. We teach that to our kids. We teach our kids to be fair because it's the kind, right thing to do. And when some unfairness falls into our lives, we should work as a community to correct those things. Thank you for sharing everything that you shared with us. And we're so happy that you guys could both be here. Proud to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we feel honored. And thank you for everything you guys are doing. We will look forward to another episode talking about Elisa's first steps in the education system. So I'm so excited to hear about that transition. Yes, and you guys helped quite a bit with that. So we'll, we'll share what we used that you guys gave us for that and what our experiences were. Thank you for being so open and sharing with us. Well, we're happy to do it. I feel like we got to close the disparity gap by sharing yep. what we can as much as possible and pull together as a community. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. From the top.